You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 214. Well, hey there, Impact Driver. Welcome to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard, and I have a question for you. Were you prepared for AI, inflation, and a pandemic all to happen around the same time? We're moving into a world of increasing uncertainty. And as PMO leaders and strategy delivery leaders, as our impact drivers, you will need better tools to not just prepare for, but take full advantage of disruption. That's right, even in your role. This isn't just for the C suite. In this episode, you're going to learn how to not just watch your future happen, but get in the driver's seat to actually architect your future. Before we dive in, this episode is sponsored by the Impact Summit. The 2023 Impact Summit is just around the corner. Join us this September for a week-long free virtual event filled with presentations, discussions, and workshops designed to help you maximize your impact as a PMO, strategy delivery, or transformation leader. This is the largest and longest running of its kind, and I'm so excited for you to join us. Make sure you register now because we are getting the party started early with some perks, some prizes, and some training that you can access today. So go there right now. Well, unless you're driving, go to impactsummit.global to see what's in store for this year. Check out the sessions, the speakers, and that free training we have going on right now. I cannot wait to see you there. Just go to impactsummit.global and register for free today. Okay, let's talk about what I mean here with getting in the driver's seat and architecting your future, your future in the age of AI. Now with me today, to talk about how you can architect your future is Jonathan Brill. Now, Harvard Business Review called Jonathan the world's leading transformation architect, and Forbes ranked him as its number one futurist. You'll gain vital tools to improve your change management outcomes and techniques to improve the performance of your team based on all the cool things Jonathan is going to explain to you today. But don't just take my word for it. Adam Grant called Rogue Waves an actionable framework for driving change instead of being blindsided by it. So Jonathan, I think that's where I'd like to start as I welcome you to the show about your book, Rogue Waves, and where you came up with this concept. And by the way, for all of you impact drivers, Jonathan and I met, oh gosh, it was last year, right? It was last year because we are both professional speakers and a part of the best professional speaking program in the world, all done up in Lambertville, New Jersey at (laughs) Heroic Public Speaking with Michael and Amy Port. Yes, life-changing is putting it mildly. I've had the pleasure of working with them and Michael specifically for a decade now. And I also got to hear your speech and hear a little bit about a couple of concepts, including Rogue Waves at HPS headquarters when we were all practicing parts of our speeches. And I was just immediately drawn to your thinking, your ideas, the way that you were presenting information and immediately saw the connection 
from what you do and what you talk about to what I believe our impact drivers need to learn, understand, and figure out how to take full advantage of to elevate their roles beyond thinking of themselves as the PMO or project people to more of the business drivers, strategic business partners that the executives need to really lead organizations into the future. So I'd love it if we could start with you explaining a little bit about this book, Rogue Waves, and this concept. Sure. So I think it goes back to my background. I had the same experience talking to you, which is I deal with radical change, how we create it, how we manage it, how we take advantage of it. And as the global futurist at HP, I was involved in a major transformation in the organization. I saw PMOs struggling with uncertainty, with the uncertainty of an increasingly changing world and how they dealt with the executive objectives and how they dealt with the practical realities that the world would be different when the implementation was complete than when the planning started. So mm. what is a rogue wave? In the deep ocean, a dozen, 20 small waves can collide in just the right way to, out of nowhere in, in, in seconds, become a 120-foot wave that can sink even the largest ships. And I think similar things happen in business and in life. Right. Like mm. you were saying at the top of the show, in just a couple of years, AI, a land war in Europe, inflation, pandemic, these are massive shifts that haven't happened in our lifetimes. And so unless we look at the bigger picture of what happens when they collide, what's happened in the past when they've collided, we don't have a sense of the scale, the scope, the speed at which these things can happen. And as PMO managers, as leaders of change, we're taught to run faster, faster, faster in a straighter and straighter and straighter line. Mm. But the reality is in a world of rogue waves, we certainly need to move faster. But if we move in a straight line, there's a very good probability that we'll go to the wrong place. And so how do we balance these realities of larger external change, increasing performance demands within the organization? How do you balance those? Things? And that's what the book Rogue Waves is about. That's what I've been thinking about for the last several years is how do we take the realities of the future and the realities of increasingly performance-driven businesses and bring them together so that we can create outsized change in a world of outsized change. It's interesting because I think some people listening to this are going to say, but that's not really my responsibility. That's what the executives are supposed to do and focus on. And I just want to dispel that myth immediately because this is absolutely the role of an impact driver. This is not the role of an administrative order-taking box checker, but it absolutely is the role of somebody that wants a seat at the table in helping their organization figure out how to define and better deliver on strategy with the highest possible return on investment as quickly as possible. And that pace, that pace of change that you're kind of hinting at here is a really important part of that. They must understand what the executives understand. They are not solely or wholly responsible for making all of these decisions, but they have to enable them to be able to drive this right decision-making, right? I think it's about three things. One is improving the quality of decision-making in a world mm -hmm. of automation and a world of digital transformation. All of this is about bringing decision-making down in the organization, mm -hmm. removing layers of administration in the organization. And that means people lower in the organization are going to have to have higher critical thinking skills, higher awareness of the changing environment, because they're directly impacting and impacted by it. 
in a way that they weren't 10 years ago, in a way that they weren't five years ago. And in a world where I believe we're going to see rising U.S.-China tensions, we're going to see rising India-China tensions, we're going to see more challenges in Europe. The continent has to make decisions how it sits between the U.S. and Chinese powers. These are things where the world of the multinational, the world of growing trade harmonization, I'm not saying that globalization is ending. I think that we're seeing a new globalization happen. And that means that every single assumption that we make about the structure of our firms, the strategy of our firms, the operations of our firms, the liabilities that we Mm -hmm. put into place when we transform unexpectedly, those are all changing. We need to rethink our assumptions about what is good, what is true, what is efficient, and what is performing. So for all of our impact drivers listening, they're trying to say, okay, so what do I do? How do I support my company in being able to be more, I don't know, resilient, be more adaptive, be more flexible? What is the role that the people that are responsible for helping this organization actually execute on the strategy? What can they do to help? Sure. I think it's embedding what I call the ABCs of resilient growth. So when you take a look at companies that grew disproportionately from 1999 to 2013, companies that did the types of things I'm talking about, 84% higher economic profit over that period. And most of it coming out of the the financial disruptions of the the dot-bomb crash in 2008. So companies that do the types of things I'm talking about tend to be dramatically more performant over time, particularly in times of disruption. And those are the moments when the old players, right, they aren't ready for the change. And so they aren't able to take advantage of, capitalize on the change. And new winners come in and they take the cake. Be the new winner, take the cake. So here's how you do it. You want to think about three things. It's what I call the ABCs of resilient growth. Awareness. How do you create awareness of the things that could change in your organization? Behavior, Mm -hmm. right? How do you create the behaviors to both notice that that's happening and take advantage of it. And then the last piece is about culture. How do you create a culture that's able to talk about things rigorously for which there might not be enough data to make, let's call it politically safe decisions, because we're moving into a world where more and more and more of that will happen. So let's Mm. talk first about awareness. So when I talk to leaders, when I talk to PMOs about what they're doing, One of the things I often ask is, do you know how long it's going to take for this thing, this transformation to complete, and then how long it needs to last? And how much do you know about the world at the end of that cycle? Because unless you understand the world at the end of that cycle, you're moving into a world in which there's a high likelihood not only of the project not completing, but a high likelihood of completing the wrong project. No one wants to spend their life doing it. Right. And so... We can't know the future precisely, but we can have a pretty good idea of the range of possible futures. Just to give you an idea, in 1900, there was no electricity broadly through the country. There weren't roads, cars broadly through the country. You go to 1910 and we have airplanes. We've invented refrigeration. There was a solar flare that hit the United States, a major rise in power. In that case, the United States took over a Pacific Island chain. These are the scale of things that were possible to do in 1900. Radical changes in immigration policy in the United States as well. This is what was possible in a decade, just in one country. And so when we think about what we're doing now, 
and we think maybe it'll take three years for it to complete a major digital transformation. And that's got to last another five or seven, maybe. What does that world look like 10 years from now? And are we designing for that? Are we designing for that range of change? So the first thing is about that idea of awareness. How do we increase awareness in our organization? And I do a lot of workshops with companies that are trying to make changes about the farm types of things. And this is really valuable to do, not just in the C-suite, but all the way down the organization to get this kind of thinking in the organization, because you start making decisions that are going to be successful no matter what happens next, as opposed to assuming that you know what will happen. I really like that framing because I think a lot of PMO people think that the only people that can make the decisions are those at the top of the organization. And it's not the case. Actually, the lower- They're not making decisions. They're thinking, I think about when I was at HP and I'd been an inventor my whole life. I walked into this huge organization. I was like, you're hiring me as a a futurist. I'm going to be the product guy. And I walked in to my first meeting with the C-suite and it became really clear really quickly that the CEO of HP doesn't care what skew of notebook computer is on the market in Bangladesh. Right. Right. It's like asking the mayor of a city, like whether the Captain Crunch is in stock at the 7-Eleven down the street. Like (laughs) they're worried about the sewage systems or they're worried about the big stuff, right? Not the small things that can make the big stuff impossible. And in a world where you have greater agency lower in the organization, which is all of what we're trying to do with digital transformation, that means that people lower in the organization both have the ability to impact the future of the organization in a different way and to set policy in the organization in a different way. So how do they, and I think this is going to come from the B and the C, how do they go about enabling this better decision-making and getting the right people in the right places to enable this change? That's a great question. And it has to do with the B and the C. We're going to talk more at at your conference about B, about the behavior change. Yeah. And we're going to go in depth on the culture stuff. But briefly, the B is about how do you improve decision-making skills in the organization? How do you teach people lower in the organization to go through a research cycle, to go through a research path and efficiently figure out what is the most likely thing to be true? And then how do you get people lower in the organization thinking in portfolios instead of about individual tasks, individual experiments? Because the reality, whenever we get involved in innovation, whenever we get involved in the unknown, is that we're going to have higher failure rates, right? right? Because we don't know. That's how experiments work. So you have to start thinking much more in terms of portfolios, like an investor does, Mm -hmm. right? About, again, take some high risk crazy bets. We're going to get into crypto. We're going to have a whole bunch of money or investments into medium risk things, things that keep the ship running, Mm -hmm. optimizing the ship. And then we're going to have some bets in things that offset that risk. Just in case everything goes wrong, we're going to make some counter cyclical investments, or we're going to make some investments that hedge the organization. So a thing we did at HP was we were concerned about semiconductor risk if there was a natural disaster. And Mm -hmm. so we started buying options to buy these semiconductors in case that happened. And it cost us almost nothing to do it. But when we started to see flooding and earthquakes, I believe it was in Taiwan, everyone else had a lot of trouble, but we had a smooth operation going through. So we can make these small decisions in terms of how we operate that can both 
dramatically increase our upside, right? And mm -hmm. eliminate the downside. And I think that's what we want to be doing. That's what we want to be thinking about all the way down the organization, not just how do we minimize risk by not taking it. Right. How do we minimize risk by avoiding it. But how do we minimize risk by balancing those things and operating in what I call risk band? And so going to culture, one of the things I talk about a lot is this idea of risk band. So is a manager, if you want people talking about the unknown, talking about uncertainty, but being performant and dealing with things and being more innovative while they're dealing with things, they need to know two things. And we typically only tell them one. One is how much risk we want them to take. But more importantly, how little risk we will allow them to take. Unless people know where they sit in that continuum, mm -hmm. you're either going to have people like me who will take way too much, <laughs> or you'll have most people who will spend their career taking as little as possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But what you want is neither lions nor sheep. Mm -hmm. Right. What you want are warriors in the middle. Right. Right. Now, this is really good because I just love that we are pushing the envelope for PMO people to see their role differently and how they can step into what I explain as the front of the strategy life cycle. So one of the things that I'm teaching them is that while most PMO people feel like they live in strategy execution or project execution, and most of them, when they're hired, they're hired because an executive said, project management's broken. I know my strategy's good, but nothing's getting done and it must be project management's fault. And so the PMO leader's hired and they're there to, you know, with their cape on and everything, I'm the <laughs> hero to save the day to fix project management. But here's the problem. That's not what's broken. It's usually not. The project management that's broken. It's usually, and I'm not saying there aren't things they can improve, but the more templates, tools, and process you shove at something doesn't mean you're going to get better results. And especially when the real problem is that the strategy isn't being set up for success before you get started with execution, right? And there's all this talk about closing the strategy to execution gap, but I believe that people are looking in the wrong places. They're looking at the wrong gaps. They're looking at what is actually a symptom as opposed to an underlying root cause, right? So the problem that they have is that they think, for example, Jonathan, how many times have you heard project people complain that they don't have enough resources, right? Like that's literally the universal complaint of every project manager in the world. They never have enough resources. But here's the thing. It's not a resource management problem. It's the fact that the executives are trying to shove 10 pounds of projects in a five pound bag. You have the resources you have but you're trying to do too many things all at once. And therefore you have a strategy definition and strategy alignment and strategy prioritization problem, right? So they don't even know that. And therefore when they're trying to execute it, things are falling apart because that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where you actually see if you've set that strategy up for success or not. And they haven't. So what happens is these PMO people think that they're supposed to be living in this execution world. And so they're all heads down focused on the wrong things, mm -hmm. shoving templates, tools, and process at people. Mm -hmm. But Jonathan, I'm not sure about in your experience, but in mine, I have never heard an executive say, wait, can you come back when you have five more templates for me to fill out? <laughs> it's not a thing they're going to say, but what they do know is that they're supposed to be getting this portfolio of investments. Investments is the key word that you said there in relation to thinking financial investments of someone's personal portfolio, but it's the same concept at 
the strategy level, right? And that's how the business leaders are thinking about it. They're thinking about this portfolio of investments to achieve strategic goals that are all at these different bands. I love it. These bands of risk level. And what most PMO people that have lived only in the project execution space believe is that their job is to eliminate risk. And you touched on it, avoid risk, reduce risk, but maybe it's not about that. Maybe it's about bringing awareness to risk and accepting it and ensuring that you have a portfolio that is balanced, that is going to take some intentional risk, big risk, big reward, right? Well, we've all heard that, but that's what the executives are really focused on. They're focused in this portfolio of strategic initiatives aligned to getting them to the right investments to achieve their business goals. And when PMO people start thinking of it, like you're explaining it, thinking of it as setting this strategy up for success, then they can be thinking of, okay, how do I optimize this portfolio of investments to achieve the overall best outcomes for the organization? It's not about minimizing risk. It's about managing it and about understanding it. It's not about closing change down. It's about enabling a workforce that can drive better change. And I love how your approach to all of this really brings that executive perspective to the table so the people listening can really understand, I have a bigger role I can play here. I have a role I can play at the front end of this process to start thinking like the investment manager my business leaders need. So when I hear all of this, that's how I'm kind of like putting it all together for, okay, PMO people, this is for you and this is why. What Jonathan's talking about here isn't just for the C-suite. It's not just for the people that identify as the strategist, as the futurist, as the transformationist. It's the people that are responsible for helping the organizations deliver against all of that, right? I'd love to just hear your thoughts on all that I'm just saying here and where the opportunities are for PMO people to support really closing the right gaps when it comes to strategy and execution. Oh my God. (laughs) <laughs> you just said what was parts in my head. You brought them together as you always do, Laura. I guess you brought kind of five ideas together, but the goal of an executive is yeah. to get the organization to a certain place at the same time that the world is in that place. Yes. Oh, right? I love that. Say that one more time. I want to make you the, know the how goal of an executive <laughs> is to get their organization into a certain place at the time that the world is in that place. Yes, exactly. Now they have not necessarily thought about how the world will be at that time. And they have not necessarily thought about all of the things that will have to happen to get it to that place at that time. Right. As program managers, as project managers, as PMO leaders, we're experts at putting all of this spaghetti of stuff that has to happen into a linear checklist. That's your magic skill. Mm-hmm. It's a thing that most executives, senior executives are actually not that good at. No, they're not very good at it. And so if you can help them work through a decision tree and start to say this or that, this or that, this or that, and Mm -hmm. say, okay, we've got to get here in six months. That means that these six things have to happen. Mm -hmm. We also know in the next six months, the world could look like really great or really terrible, whatever that range is. Mm -hmm. And here are the things, the places where we can make decisions effectively to minimize the probability of a bad outcome and maximize the probability of a good outcome. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. You said the key word there, Jonathan, outcome. Uh-huh. 
project people have historically measured themselves by how perfect their outputs are instead of measuring their real value and how they drive the best outcomes for the organization. And that's the shift that we really want them to make is to understand that their real value is not in perfecting on time, on scope, on budget, and making sure the deliverables themselves are perfect. Those deliverables are a means to the end. The end Mm -hmm. is helping the organization drive the best outcomes in a world of uncertainty. And I think you just hit the other big piece, which is we think is project leaders in organizations about endogenous risk. That's a Mm -hmm. big fancy word for saying stuff we can screw up, (laughs) right? But we've gotten really good at this. We've got yeah. really good at minimizing endogenous risk, mm. right? Six Sigma, mm. continuous delivery, agile, PMP, right. like we've gotten dramatically better at this in the last 40 years. Mm-hmm. What has gotten dramatically worse is exogenous risk, stuff that can go mm. on outside and what's going to continue to get worse. And so what we need to do is figure out how we're going to use these amazing skills we have as PMO leaders, as project managers, to certainly improve our internal performance, but make sure that that's moving toward the world as it will be when that transformation is complete. And over the life cycle of that transformation, if we want to create the outsized delivery that we deserve to create for ourselves and for our company. And the good news is this is typically a mindset shift. It's not a cost issue. Right. Right. Even if it might take a little longer up front, mm-hmm. man, like not running full speed ahead into a brick wall, almost always the cheaper option. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So this is awesome, Jonathan. Thank you so much. So let's talk. I teased a little bit about AI and that's yeah. a really hot button topic for people these days. So can we talk a little bit about where we're going with AI and where opportunities might be for PMO people to take advantage of or make sure that they maintain this resilient growth in the AI age? Yeah. Well, I think the possibility of resilience is much greater in an AI age than it's ever been. Let's talk a little bit about the history of strategy and execution, right? Up until okay. maybe 2000, you did strategy, you froze things and then you did execution. Then you did strategy, froze things, and then you did execution. And then there were 10 years of crazy. And then we settled on kind of this idea of agile delivery, continuous delivery, agile Six Sigma, whatever your flavor of it is, to try and link strategy and execution so you could start to do them more simultaneously. Mm -hmm. What happens in a world of artificial intelligence when you really think about it is we're able to simulate what will happen next. Oh, tell me more. So when you take a look at these large language models like ChatGPT, BARD, so on and so forth, these generative AI tools, right? they're basically starting with some random pile of data and trying to guess what's the next word, what's the next pixel in this picture. Mm -hmm. And that same way of thinking, That same way of analysis can be applied to stock markets. It can be applied to supply chains. It can be applied to protein folding and biotech. It can be applied to almost project management. And as we digitize our firms, as we have more data about what's going on in our firms in real time, 
we can start to say, hey, does that thing over in the, the left corner of Indonesia, is that just a thing that happens over there? Or is it really going to impact what's happening in our production in Ireland too? We're going to start to be able to link those things and simulate what happens next. And so that's stuff that typically happens way down in the chain, right? Way down in your project management capabilities never gets those kinds of disruptions are never available or aware to leadership. Right. Until it's too late. Think about a, an issue where ink supply chain issues, where there was too much ink for our inkjet printer business in Europe at HP. And effectively, this killed the sales potential of the organization, the, the margin potential of the organization for about nine months as we cleared out that excess capacity of ink in Europe. It caught the C-suite by surprise. It was the thing that was probably known way down at the bottom of the organization, but didn't get to the top. And we could have known that any number of decisions would have made that not happen. Oh, yeah. Um, we could have made any number of decisions. And we could have communicated to the top of the organization what was going to happen if we continued in this direction. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't possible. In a world of AI, in a world of machine learning, artificial intelligence, data science, it starts to become possible throughout the organization to understand what these issues are likely to be, what these process management issues are likely to be move. What happens is instead of doing strategy and then execution or linking strategy and execution, doing strategy execution simultaneously, like what starts to happen is we start to execute and then figure out what our strategy is going to be, right? We're starting ah. to invert the relationship between transformation and strategy. Transformation is increasingly going to drive strategy. Project management is increasingly going to drive strategy because of what we know about what happens next, what we know about the range of what can happen. Mm -hmm. And what's going to be really interesting is because one of the things that I teach PMO and project people is that they must understand the strategic direction of the organization in order to help enable the right strategy getting delivered. And so what's going to happen is the reason you had that ink problem is because the people doing the work did not understand the strategy. They did not understand the general direction or that this could even be a problem. And so the people doing the work that may have known that there was an issue didn't really know how big of an issue it was because they didn't have that connectivity back to the overall goals. And Harvard Business Review says that 95% of the typical workforce does not understand their company's strategy based on all the research they've done, 95% of the people doing the work do not understand why they're doing what they're doing. And if they don't, they can't possibly help support the right information, the ink problem. They cannot prevent the ink problem because the people doing the work don't understand that it's a problem. They're like, great, we got all this ink. They don't understand that there's an issue there, right? There was a regional directive that led to a country level initiatives and sales incentives that led to this problem. It was literally no one knew that everything made sense at all levels of the organization in terms of what was happening. Yeah. But it caused a corporate heart attack. So yeah. this probably sounds familiar to many of your listeners that mm -hmm. these things happen, but it's absolutely critical that people in flattened organizations, faster moving organizations who are dealing with greater uncertainty understand the strategy and understand the range of risks. I go yeah. through one of the things I often do with teams 
is just explain their annual report to them. Mm -hmm. I have yet to walk into a team and ask them, what do they think are the missing risks in their section 1A of their 10K, which is the U.S. publicly traded company annual report. And this is where it says, like, here's what a pandemic would do to us. Mm -hmm. No one reads that. Like, literally no one reads that unless you're an investor. Mm -hmm. And yet that's the thing that will tell you what would happen if there was a war mm -hmm. and what would happen if AI accelerated? What would happen if there was a pandemic? Right. And it also tells you very quickly whether your company is smoking drugs about what would happen because you're in the belly of the beast. You're on the line. You know exactly what the impact would be. Right. And right. so as a PMO leader, you can start to bring these things up, start to help the company think more holistically about how it looks at risk. And like mm -hmm. I was saying at the beginning of the show, the companies that do this effectively, they have better results over time. And so what you're doing when you bring this up, if you bring it up effectively, if you speak the language of the leader, is you help the company create outsized growth. You help the company lean in to disruption as opposed to avoiding. And when you lean into disruption, when you are able to safely take risks that others cannot, that's when you can charge excess rents. That's when you can increase your margin because no one else can safely take those bets. So as a project manager, if you are consistently building in the ability to take risk where others cannot, take advantage of the world as it changes because others aren't prepared, you're building the framework for your future. Not just for the future of the teams, but for the organization as a whole. I would say that this is the kind of thing that rapidly gets you promoted rapidly yeah. gets your team promoted when the world changes, drives outsized results. Mm -hmm. And that's what I call building strategic lock. Oh, that sounds good. How do we get more of that? So this gets to, we were talking about awareness, we were talking about behavior, and we were talking about culture, the ABCs of Brazilian growth. Mm -hmm. Strategic lock is really about that C. How do you create a culture where we can have rigorous discussions about things for which we don't yet have enough data and yet remain performant as a team. And it requires really four things to happen, prioritizing four things in your team. One, leveraging help, right? How do we ask other people for help in a way that's safe for us and helps the team become more efficient instead of getting bogged down in meetings? The second is how do you create unexpected connections? You know, lower in the organizations, we typically like to get people in running the hamster wheel as fast as we can. Mm -hmm. But we also need to get people out looking at things that they're not comfortable with, things they haven't seen, so that they can make unexpected connections about how might we radically change, radically improve this thing that I do? How do we improve the hamster wheel? How do we replace it? The third piece is about controlling disruption. These first two things I said, leveraging health unexpected connections. Those are ways to increase the probability of disruption in your life, mm -hmm. generally for the better, but sometimes for the worse. When we make change, when we do transformation, what we know is that often it's successful transformation, successful change for which we are not yet ready. That's the threat. Mm. Right? that can overwhelm us. I think about my friend's virtual reality firm mm -hmm. and they were suddenly incredibly successful. Their 
computers weren't able to handle the amount of customers. It wasn't performant. No one wanted to go anymore. And so this incredibly successful organization crashed and burned, right? Yeah. The question is, how do we control disruption, both for the bad things that can happen, but also to be prepared to scale for the good? Another great right. example, Microsoft versus Zoom going into the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Microsoft should have won this, right? They had their own data centers. They had the sales force. They had the contracts right. in place, had the software on our computers. And yet Zoom was ready to scale their compute capacity and ready to take risks that Microsoft wasn't. And so they won. They did. They certainly did. And I, it was actually a really interesting case study to watch all that happen during the pandemic and how they just skyrocketed. And they were like, bring it. We're taking it. We're going to take you wherever you need to go virtually. It was amazing to watch it. Yeah. yeah. So that's about controlling disruption. And the last piece is about knowing what's missing. Yeah. Right. We focus so much time as project managers looking at what's in front of us. How are we going to solve the problem in front of us? Mm -hmm. As opposed to saying, what are the pieces that aren't here? to help us leverage help, to create those unexpected connections, to control disruption. Right. Right. So instead of just looking, knowing what's there, take the time to know what's missing. And if you do that, you'll have a handy dandy acronym, LUC, leverage help, unexpected connections, control disruption, and K, know what's missing. Oh, I love it. Everyone loves a good acronym. And I think there's real opportunity if, PMO people are looking for how they get their seat at the table. If they're looking at how they can become more influential and valuable to the organization, it's in understanding how to create your own strategic luck. So I think this is really good stuff. Good, good stuff. So for all of you impact drivers that have been listening while you are multitasking, you're probably going to need to listen to this again with your notepad so that you can write down some of these thoughts and think my action for all of you listening is to think about how you can put these ideas into action. Because as you know, knowledge alone is not power. It's the application of that knowledge where you make a real impact. And here are some really great opportunities for you to challenge yourself, think differently, and definitely attend Jonathan's session at the Impact Summit where you can learn more about these ABCs. But before we go, Jonathan, can you talk a little bit about the Strategic Luck Project and how people can get involved if they are interested in doing so? Yeah, absolutely. So we are talking to about a thousand leaders to mm -hmm. study strategic luck, how you build this in your organizations. If you want to learn more, check out jonathanbrill.com backslash PMO. Mm, jonathanbrill.com backslash PMO. Sign up. We'll get you involved in the project. Okay. And we'll put the link with the show notes here for anyone that's driving right now and cannot write that down. We'll make sure to have that link in the show notes so that people can go right to this episode, which is episode 212. Just go to pmostrategies.com forward slash 212, where you're checking out all of our podcast stuff. And we will link to Jonathan's resources where you can learn a little bit more about him, his LinkedIn bio, et cetera the book, and of course, the Strategic Luck Project. Wow, Jonathan, this has been really cool and eye-opening. And I really hope that our PMO and all of our impact drivers here listening to this are thinking about ways that they can step up and out of the execution space and look at supporting the whole strategy process and enabling their organization to thrive now and well into this digital future. 
no matter what risks come our way. But I am hoping you can just tease a little bit of what you're going to dive into more at the summit just to get people excited. I cannot wait for the summit this year. We're going to talk a little bit about AI, how it's going to impact project management and how it's going to impact that idea of strategic luck we were talking about. In a world of increasing change, in a world of increasing disruption, man, Mm -hmm. I think we need to stop letting luck be chance. And we have to start turning it in to our strategy. Mm, I love it. I love it. And I'm a huge believer in this, by the way, Jonathan, I feel like people in my life have been like, gosh, you're so lucky. I'm like, listen, I am actually not lucky. I make my own luck because, and I think that there's so many people in organizations that should be doing that as well. And organizations as a whole should be operating that way. So I'm really excited to see your session. I'm looking forward to it can't wait. And you can be more lucky by working smarter, not harder. Bingo. Speaking of, we're out of time for this episode today. So thank you all so very much for listening to this episode. I hope it's giving you some great ideas on how to think differently. Jonathan, I'm so grateful for you taking the time to share your brilliance and give us a little peek into the future today. And for those of you that have not registered for the Impact Summit, why the heck not? It is free. Just go to impactsummit.global, register today, learn a little bit more about Jonathan, connect with him in the app, and let's keep this conversation going. Bye-bye for now. 